Of the many traditions of Easter that I love, one of those that I really, really like is on Easter morning when we come to church and we see each other and we shake each other's hands and then we say, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Uh, Like some of you, I grew up with this tradition and the fact that it continues generation after generation gives me a lot of joy. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, this is the unofficial Easter morning ritual of greeting each other at church on Easter morning, where we declare, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Hopefully someone will say that to you here this morning. But here's what I notice and what I feel, that even though we have all kind of things going on in our hearts and our minds this morning, even though there is chaos all over the world, Even though there was a good chance there was arguing in the car on your way to church this morning, um, whenever you hear and whenever you speak these words on Easter morning of Christ being risen, Christ being risen indeed, the response to whoever says that or whoever hears that is always one of gladness, always one of joy, it's always celebratory, it's always good. As we look at our text this morning, we are going to see... That when the glorified Jesus Christ interacts with us, joy is produced. And that is because he rose from the dead. And those who look to him in faith and truly see him and hear from him are filled with a joy which could only come from him. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open this morning to Matthew 28. We're going to retrace this exchange as the first people see Jesus alive. The first people hear from Jesus after he has conquered death. And my prayer for us this morning, my heart for us this morning as I've been praying this week, is that our lives will be uplifted in faith because of what he has done, because of what he has proven to be true. Because in this interaction with Jesus and these two women, our Lord is revealed in his glorified body. If you're unfamiliar with that concept, if you're unfamiliar with those words, please know this this morning, that the hope of this church, that the hope of Christianity is that we all someday, like Jesus, when he returns, we will receive new physical bodies someday. Yes, that's part of the reason this morning is so great, is that we are reminded of the truth of that which we believe. There will someday be a day when we have bodies that are not given toward decay, not given toward brokenness or sickness or suffering. No, there will be a day in Christ where we have all new bodies. Now, if you're here this morning, you're hearing that for the first time and you think it's just crazy, uh, you're not the first to think that. Thank you for being here. But yet you need to know our historical faith is based upon the tangible evidence that something really impossible did happen. And that is one man defeated death, just as he predicted he would. So now, in our text, we hear Jesus' very first words after rising out of the grave. And I want us to focus on the interaction, the, re- the reaction, and the encounter of these people who s- saw him and heard from him. All right, two points very briefly this morning. First, see the risen Jesus. And then secondly, hear from the risen Jesus. And may the Lord give us joy as we see and hear from him. All right, let's re-enter the scene a bit. Look back at verse 1 as we consider seeing the risen Jesus. In verse 1, here we are at the gravesite of Jesus. There was a tomb and it was empty. Jesus died on a Friday. 
He was placed inside of this walk-in tomb. On Saturday, the shock and disappointment of all of his friends and followers had set in. Even though he predicted his death, they could not comprehend actually what was taking place around them. Most of his friends fled. And now it's Sunday morning, culturally the day after the Jewish Sabbath. And two women arrive early in the morning at the tomb. They were both named Mary, and we know they arrived in hopes of tending to the physical body of Jesus, his physical decaying body. They expected him to be dead because he had died and they had seen him. They also were aware of a problem. There was a large boulder that had been placed in front of the tomb's entrance. Knowing that they could not remove this boulder, they had hopes that someone there could help them. Perhaps the Roman guards, perhaps someone else. So they came to serve a dead man's body. And these were Jesus' faithful friends who had followed him. It's important for us to remember in the text that Jesus had been very, very clear throughout his life, throughout his ministry. You can go back and look at Matthew chapter 16 and see very clearly that he told them he would die and that he would rise again. His message had been consistent all along. So maybe when you consider the scene, maybe when you hear these words, maybe when you think Mary and Mary are coming anticipating a dead person, maybe you think, why were they so confused? What was wrong with them? Why didn't they believe Jesus and when he told them that? Maybe a better question would be to ask, Where were all of his disciples that morning? Why were they not outside the tomb waiting on him to rise as he predicted? Why weren't they there waiting to see him? I think the answer is obvious to us all. No one really had a category to believe what was happening in front of them. No one really had the ability to ascertain this type of miracle. A man would rise from the dead three days after his death. It's impossible. Well, regardless, look back into the scene. These two women arrive with the desire to serve the body of Jesus. And what do they see? The many miracles that occurred on that day. Let let this drama take hold of your heart this morning. First, they experienced an earthquake. Contributed to the removal of the boulder from the tomb's entrance. So that now they could walk right into the tomb. Either the earthquake happened as they were there or just before they arrived. Either way, they experienced an earthquake. They knew something unusual was going on. They could see into the tomb and recognize that Jesus' body was not there. But now notice the second thing that occurred, and I think this is just great. I thought about it all week. Look at verse 2. Outside of the empty tomb, an angel of the Lord was present. An angel was there. And angels in the Bible were warriors. They were strong. They were intense. They were fierce. They were frightening. But notice what this angel was doing outside of the tomb. And I just think this is great. He's sitting down. He's resting on top of the boulder. He is in total control of everything that's going on here. He had moved the boulder and he sat down on top of it. He came from heaven, ensured the rock was gone. Earlier that day, Jesus walks out and he sat there unfazed. What power. Wow, I love that. His words to Mary and Mary are really the theme of the passage. And Jesus will repeat them in just a moment. But don't miss this. 
The Roman guards who were sent there to guard the tomb saw all of this. And where are they in verse 4? They had not moved. They'd experienced the earthquake and the appearance of this heavenly warrior. And what are they doing? They literally are scared to death. They are frozen in place with fear. You would think that they would run or hide or something, but they can't do that. Mental health professionals tell us that common responses to a traumatic situation include fighting or flight or freeze. Well, these warriors, I'm sorry, these soldiers had frozen in place when they saw this angel. Now, the angel speaks to the women in verse 5, and he gives them very, very simple direction. As he's sitting upon this rock, he looks at the women and says, Come and see. Go inside the tomb. Look around. Jesus isn't here. He has risen. Walk on in. Look, he was here. He's not here now. So therefore, Mary and Mary, go and tell his disciples, Jesus is alive. He will meet them later in Galilee, an area where they had spent most of their time. So thus, they obeyed the angel. With both fear and joy, they quickly go on their assignment. And as they left, after witnessing all of this supernatural stuff, the unimaginable happens. Look at verse 9, and may it come alive to you on this Easter morning. As Mary and Mary hurry off to find the disciples, something happens. Someone happens. Jesus Christ himself interrupts their faithful obedience. In his new body, he stops them. They were on their way to talk about him, and he interrupts them to speak directly to them. And right here are the first humans to interact with the risen Jesus Christ, the glorified Jesus. Mary and Mary are the chosen ones, To lay their eyes on the unimaginable. There he is. Jesus. In his radiance. In his splendor. In his glory. In his perfected body. Alive. Standing there. Returned from the dead. Just imagine the scene. And there are Mary and Mary with their frail human eyes. Glaring at the king of the universe. Standing on the earth. Think about it. For the rest of their lives, can you imagine how they would have retold that story? Generation after generation would have heard about this. But for our purposes this morning, simply observe what the women did when they saw Jesus. Upon seeing him first, they moved toward him and touched him. Meaning they could move close to God and live. But then secondly, they bowed down to him and worshipped him. Recognizing his holiness, his worth of praise, and in their adoration of Jesus, they touched his feet. Why would they have done that? They did that to prove to themselves and to us now that Jesus had a physical body. He wasn't a spirit. He was a person, a glorified, perfected person back from the grave. And as they moved close and as they bowed down, they saw their friend alive. 
Friends, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and gives us the ability to see spiritually the Jesus of the Bible, you know what we can do with this Jesus? We too can move close to him. We too can draw near to him. He wants us to come near him. And as we come near to him, yes, we also worship him. We adore him. We obey him. We give him our hearts. We give him our future. We give him our lives. We give him everything. What was not up for debate at this moment is what Mary and Mary thought about their friend. I assure you, their allegiance was solidified. This was their king. They were seeing the risen Jesus, and they had joy like no one could ever provide them. May God open our eyes today. I first ask you this question. Do you believe that Jesus walked out of that tomb? All right, first, we have seen Christ. Now, let's hear from him. Part two, hearing from the glorified Jesus. Look back at verse nine. Notice the very first words which came out of the mouth of our risen Savior. Before you read it, Let me ask you, what might you imagine his first words would be after he had defeated death? What might have he said to these old friends of his who seemingly didn't pay attention to his words about death and defeat? Was he going to condemn them? Was he going to rebuke them? Was he going to chastise them? No, I suggest that truthfully, world history hangs in the balance at this very moment. What would be the very first word spoken of the one person who came out of the grave? Proving that he is the true king, what is it he had to say? Notice verse 9. The first thing he said was, greetings. You know what greetings means? We don't need to study the original language here. It means good morning. That's what Jesus said. It's basically here the God of the universe in human form after receiving the full payment of the sin of the world to the point of death, looking at his friends after doing all of the work for them and looking earnestly in their eyes and saying, good morning, it's good to see you today. Let Jesus' grace overwhelm your heart this morning. He did not question them. He didn't scold them. He didn't shame them. He didn't embarrass them. He didn't ask why they had misunderstood. He could have done those things, but that's not our Savior. He didn't bring up their failures. He didn't make them feel dumb. He looked at them and said, morning. If my teenage son is five minutes late after curfew, I do a full-on interrogation. Who, what, when, where, why? That's not Jesus here. What did Jesus say to his friends? Good morning. Let me ask you this morning, church, how do you imagine Jesus speaking to you today? I assure you, after all the work that he had done on your behalf on the cross, his words to you also are the same. Greetings. Good morning. It's good to see you. Jesus is saying, look at everything I've done for you. It's good to see you. I've taken your sin. I left my father's side. I have suffered for you. Good morning to you. He also repeated the words of the angel. Don't be afraid. That's his heart to you this morning as you move toward him. 
If you think about it, why might Mary and Mary that morning have been afraid? Think about what they had just experienced. They had been through an earthquake. That's pretty significant. They had seen petrified Roman soldiers. That's pretty unusual. They had talked to an angel sitting on a rock. You can't make that up. And then they had been interrupted by the risen Lord Jesus. I mean, what else could happen to them in a day and it's still early in the morning? Of course they were afraid. Who wouldn't be? So let me ask you that this morning. How much do you have going on in your life that can produce fear? I suspect there are dozens of reasons here in this morning in this sanctuary where you could look at this Lord Jesus and be afraid. And Jesus says to you, good morning, come close to me. I want you. I've done all of the work for you. There is one more component of Jesus' words that we simply can't skip over. Look back at verse 10 and, and notice how he referred to his friends. Be encouraged even more by his grace this morning. Jesus instructed Mary and Mary to tell his disciples to meet him in Galilee. Same thing that the angel had told them. And we know, in fact, that that did happen. The events of the book of Acts were set into motion. But notice, Jesus did not call these men his disciples. He could have. He didn't call them his students. He didn't even call them his friends. The angel called them disciples, but that's not the word Jesus used to describe them. Look at the word he used to talk about his friends. He said, go tell my brothers that I'll meet them in Galilee. These guys were his family. Again, this seems so simple, but Mary and Mary would have noticed the significance. Their relationship had been much more of a teacher-student model. They had been friends, friends for sure, close friends, in fact. But now, in his glorified body, now that sin has been atoned fully, these people are family. Those who were scared, those who fled, those who disobeyed, those who doubted, those who denied. It sounds like us, doesn't it? People just like us. People like you and me who have failed time and time again people who are selfish, people who are weak, and yet we return to him. And how does Jesus treat us? Like brothers and sisters. In Matthew chapter 12, when asked about his own family, remember Jesus' words. He says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother. They are my brothers. Friends, again, I ask you, how do you imagine Jesus speaking to you today. Do you think he's mad? Do you think he's disappointed? Do you think he's indifferent? Do you think he's incapable of loving you? Do you think he doesn't care? Or do you imagine him as some far off fairy tale that may or may not even be true? Please know this morning, when we see and hear from the Jesus who conquered death, he's loving, he's strong, he's alive, he's returning. And he wants you to draw near. This Jesus who spoke to Mary and Mary spoke to all of us when he said in the book of Revelation, Behold, I'm making all things new. These words are trustworthy and they are true.
You see, if you put your faith in Christ, there is joy available to you that can only come from him because of what he has done. This Easter, believe upon him. At the turn of the 18th century, Europe was engaged in significant warfare. Napoleon led his French military as his empire grew and grew and grew. In one particular battle in Austria in 1799, a French general came upon a small village which appeared hopeless in their battle against the French. As they debated their situation, the town council had decided to surrender to the greater French forces because they had no ability to fight, no ability to defend. But then, a leader in the local church spoke up and reminded the town leaders that it was Easter morning. So before they surrendered, let's have one more Easter service. And Before they gave away... They suggested holding the traditional Easter service in the same place they had year after year prior. When the large French army who is surrounding the village heard the church bells ringing loudly from the worshipers as they worshiped Jesus one more time, the French assumed the Austrians had received reinforcements and were ready for battle. Thus, the French army retreated and fled as the bells of the church rang and rang and rang on Easter morning. You see this morning, friends, there is power in the name of Jesus that this world cannot deal with. This morning, when we greet each other with Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, know that nothing in this world can take away the joy that is ours in Christ. So church, I close with this. Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray. We will transition to the Lord's Prayer, and then we will come around his feasting table. Father, we thank you for your word, because in your word we have Christ. We thank you for this table that you have established for us. Father, I ask you this morning that you would draw our hearts near you. We thank you for the truth of Christ and all that he has done. And we pray now as he instructed us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.